Welcome to Real Estate Investing Abundance, the show for busy, fulfilled professionals like you to learn how to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. Now, here is your host, Dr. Alan Lomax. Hello, enlightened investors. I'm your host, Dr. Alan, and I'm delighted to be with you today to share one of investors' journey from beginning to full-time passive investor in the span of just five years. Jeremy Roll started investing in real estate and business in 2002, and he left the corporate world in 2007 to become a full-time passive investor. He is currently an investor in more than 60 opportunities across more than $1 billion worth of real estate and business assets. As founder and president of Roll Investment Group, Jeremy manages a group of over 1,500 investors who seek passive, managed, cash-flowing investments in real estate and business. Jeremy, share with us one of your memorable experiences that helped you to be who you are today. Yeah, and thank you again for having me on. And I honestly just hope that this, uh, this episode is helpful for your listeners. So the one that immediately comes to mind, especially given that we're talking about investing today, is when I left the corporate world in 2007, because unlike a lot of people I speak to now who are, they kind of pre-plan and kind of have a strategy and a plan, maybe it's a five-year plan, a 10-year plan, a three-year plan to actually get out of the corporate world from the cash flow and they kind of think ahead. I actually switched to this type of investing after the dot-com crash in 2001, 2002 for more predictable type of returns in the long term for my retirement account. But at a last strong moment in the corporate world in 2007, it was unexpected and working at Toyota headquarters at the time and had a problem with the new manager. And long story short is I decided to leave the corporate world because I had the cash flow built up to live off of, even though that wasn't my intention. My intention was to have the paycheck and the cash flow, just more predictable returns on the cash flow side. And it just so happens that when at that time, I, it was 2007, mid 2007. I was absolutely convinced there was going to be a recession. Uh, my wife was leaving her job to be a full time mom, having our new baby in October. I was leaving my job for the first time ever, and we were facing a recession. So, when you ask me for memorable times, that was a, <laughs> a very memorable uh, time, but it was a very pivotal time for me because I really feel like once I got out of the corporate world, I was maximizing my potential. I was much happier with what I was doing. And um, I've you know, been very, very lucky to be able to continue to do this full time for the past almost 15 years now. Well, that's excellent. I'm sure there were a lot of moments of uncertainty and uh, some scary times in conjunction with making that transition. Uh, particularly with the feeling and perspective that you had that uh, 2007 was going to bring a recession. Was it, uh, was it worse then or bad than uh, you thought it was going to be? Oh, well, I would say that, um, so what gave me a lot of comfort, because I'm a pretty low risk guy, is that I had about two times cash flow coverage of the cost of living at the time. And that padding was really important to me. I don't think I could have done it without that padding. But because of that padding, even in the face of a potential recession, because I, I am very diversified as a strategy, almost like over diversified to an extent, um, that really helps during a downturn, right? Whether it was back then, whether it was during the pandemic, et cetera. So between the padding and the diversification, 
I had a pretty decent amount of peace of mind. I also knew that I could always go back to the corporate world if I needed to. Obviously, that's not the easiest thing. You know, it's easier said than done as far as finding a really good job at a big company. But I had some good experience. I'd built up over 10 years experience with a really good resume. I have an MBA from the Wharton School, for example. So, you know, I knew I was going to have some options um, eventually if I needed them. But it, for someone like me, who is very conservative, leaving the corporate world is a huge leap. But having that padding of cash flow was a would really made all the, and frankly, was the only thing that made it even feasible in my mind. Yeah. Well, it's good that you uh, could make that. And being the conservative person that you are, I think it's probably harder for conservative people like yourself to actually get up and leave a comfortable and secure corporate world like that. Well, there's many different types of real estate asset classes that can be considered by uh to be passive cash flow investments. So providing solutions for investors across uh, various risk levels is very, very possible. So talk to us about how it is you've diversified and what suggestions you have for other investors. Absolutely. This is a topic that's really near and dear to my heart. I would say over to, I don't even, you know, I'm not a financial advisor, investment advisor, and I'm just you know, sharing my perspective as an investor, but being in over 60 opportunities, I think I'm over diversified to an extent just because I do this full time and I constantly find stuff that's interesting. That's why I do that. But I don't, I don't think that makes sense for most people, to be honest, it's just a lot to handle. I would say that when I think of diversification, I think it's absolutely critical when you're passive, because I tell people that I trade control for diversification by being passive versus active. So I'm handing someone else control, but I get much more diversification in exchange. Now, when you think about diversification, what does that mean? Well, that means I have to get diversified across asset classes, operators, and geographies. Okay. So if I'm not diversified across all three, I'm definitely increasing my risk. And because you're giving someone else control as a passive investor, inherently your risk goes up because someone else is managing something you don't have control over and therefore your risk is higher than if you had control over it yourself. There's other risks we could talk about, but I'm just saying, you know, all else being equal. So that diversification piece is absolutely essential. Let me just touch upon those three real quick. You don't want to be too heavily invested with one operator. Um, there's always 1% risks in any investment, including mismanagement, fraud, and Ponzi scheme. So you do not want to have too many eggs in one basket with one operator. And to me, that means total investable dollars of alternative investments versus what you have with one sponsor, you know. And then you want to be diversified across geographies, both because local geographies and local economies all act different in different parts of the cycle. Some are better for downturns than others, right? Um, do you want to be in the middle of an oil market when oil is at $10? Probably not, right? But then again, when you're there, when oil is at $150, it's not a bad thing. But there are definitely a lot of ups and downs there. Do you want to be in certain parts of the country right now where there's a lot of migration out of those states? Or do you want to be in the ones that are going into those states? Well, you may want to be in both for depending on the asset class. But the point is that the, the more diversified you are across geographies, the less risk you have. And I also um, tell people to think about the weather and the possible weather implications depending on the asset class you're investing in. So for example, you know, investing in a mobile home park in Florida, a lot of people do it, but there is the risk of hurricanes, right? And the hurricane risk, for example, is much more substantial for a mobile home park being more of an open space than it would be for a single story, a self-storage unit, right? That's made of concrete, doesn't have any windows for the most part. It's a different level of risk. So you've got to think about how the weather and the geography can impact 
what you're investing in on a location by location basis. And then finally, asset classes. Those are clearly very important, right? Because some asset classes perform better than others in upturns and downturns. Some of them will perform better in the long term versus short term. It all depends on what you're doing. But to me, you want to be diversified across multiple asset classes. If any, if for anything that, you know, when a pandemic comes and you thought your retail strip center was always going to be busy because it was at the corner of Maine and Maine. Well, now what happens, right? Nothing is fully bulletproof. But what really helps to bulletproof your portfolio is to get as much diversification as possible. We'll be right back after a brief announcement. Are you a busy professional, passionate about the work of your calling, yet realize that even though you love what you are doing, you're exchanging your time for money? You know that if you were to lose the ability to exchange time for money, your financial well-being will be in jeopardy. If you can relate, I have great news. Steve Tucker Capital is an investment company designed for professionals to develop financial independence built on solid passive real estate investments. Remove the anxiety of an uncertain financial future and go to steedtucker.com. Get your free one-page 10-step guide to passive real estate investing. Yeah, absolutely. Very good advice there. Well, it's important for passive cash flow investors to monitor upcoming changes and looking for key trends. I mean, we hear that, of course, for active investors need to be knowledgeable about these various different things. Why is it so important for a passive investor? Yeah, I think there's two important reasons why that is so critical. And I would say, honestly, if I had to think about the most, one of the most important things I do every day, it's read. It's read the news, read what's coming up, read about technology, because I have to think 10 years ahead. So part of my job as an investor when I'm looking at an opportunity today is I personally invest in a lot of longer term deals. And if you do that, then you're going to be potentially locked in as a passive investor for, for up to 10 years or longer. Right. And I say locked in because it's very illiquid, these opportunities. They're very hard to sell your share. And it's actually illegal to sell your share within the first year, I think, according to the SEC. And so you have to assume you're locked in for a long period of time. So if you think about what's happened in the retail landscape in the past few years, even prior to the pandemic and the internet, you know, did you want to be the person who invested in the Circuit City Center? right? That had the main circuit city as a flagship location in 2012. Well, not if you have to be in there for 10 years, it looked fine back then, but not now, right? So you have to anticipate how the, the internet was going to affect that type of, of uh, store. And so just like that, you've got to really think ahead across everything. You got to think ahead about where are the trends happening? How can they impact that asset class? And also how does it impact that location? I'll give you a great example. We knew even prior to the pandemic that people were moving South because the retirement population was increasing. And the number one and two population uh, migration projections were into Texas and Florida prior to the pandemic because of a lot of people moving to those warmer climates. So that means that if you know that, you know, if you're looking at a deal in a cold climate today, it might be fine today, but it may not be quite as fine in five or 10 years. And not to say that it's going to go foreclose or anything, but it just might not be as valuable. You might not get the same multiple. You might not get the same increases. And you've got to take a look at all these variables because any passive investor has a limited amount of capital to invest. You've got to allocate it in the most efficient and best way possible. You always have limited capital to invest. So you've got to make the best choices you can. I will tell you that I actually personally read two to three hours a day, and that is not an exaggeration, probably more, of news, trends, et cetera, to kind of keep on top of everything that's happening, understand how the cycles work so I know whether today is good timing to invest or not because everything's cyclical and the cycles are very important. There's a lot to stay on top of just even as a passive investor. Are there some particular sources that you tend to tend to? I mean, to return to, excuse me. 
Yeah. So uh, there's a few I'll just throw out today. I mean, some of them are going to be obvious, right? So I like CNBC to see what's going on with the bond markets, to look at the yield curve, just to understand what's going on with the stock market and what you know Main Street is thinking and seeing in the stock market. Um, and also, I like to read some of the what I call mass media headlines, because I think that's impacting a lot of psychology and a lot of people are reading them. Right. So I'll look at CNBC. I'll actually look at Drug Report just because it's an easy portal to deal with to like link off to other sources. But then I also look at sources, for example, like calculatedriskblog.com. I love that one because all they do is publish the daily data that is published by the government. And but not only that, they take the data and they put it in chart form and you can look many years back. So they're somewhat objective. They do give a little bit of their opinion. But if you want to even avoid reading that, you could just look at the charts. You get the charts. They're easy. They're free, easy to look at. And you can form your own opinion about what's going on. So that's a great site to have the daily data just to look at. Boom, really easy in one place. Shadowstats.com, I think, is a fantastic resource for investors. So, And this is a good timing for us to talk about it because Shadowstats deals with a bunch of different types of data that are published by the government, one of them being inflation. And right now, as we're recording, it's the end of 2021. Inflation is rampant, is very high, is, is generationally high right now. And why that's so important to it's important to investors for so many reasons. But let me give you the most simple reason. If in true inflation, let's say that the government published inflation is 6%, but the true inflation is higher, as we probably all know, and, and what we're feeling with, especially with some larger costs, like housing, medical bills, etc. Shadow stats will take the statistics that are published and adjust them in multiple different ways. So for example, you can look at the inflation, how that was measured pre-1982 government measures. So that the government adjusted the way it computes inflation in 1982 to make the numbers look better because the inflation was so out of control at that time in the 70s that they were adjusting for the future to make it look better. They actually are now talking about doing the exact same thing again. They're actually talking about recasting 2019 and 20 and changing the way they measure it now going forward. And frankly, I would be shocked if they didn't do it because this is the time for them to do it, right? So, but the point being is that you can go onto this website and see how things used to be published. So if you take a look at how inflation used to be uh, measured by the government before they started making all the adjustments, we're at somewhere between eight and 11 or more percent, depending on which source you believe. And so when you think about that, that means that as an investor, if you're looking for a return or even cash flow to keep up with inflation, post-tax, you have to be making eight to 11%, not pre-tax. So that's a different number than what you're gonna read from the government with core inflation being at 4%, non-core being at 6%. As an investor, you have to get out of the weeds of the media and all this data, understand what really is going on. And so that's a great site. And it not only publishes inflation data, but other types of data that you can look at in different ways that it used to be measured. So that's another one I strongly recommend. A final one I'll just throw out there. I'm sorry, I know this is a long answer, is um, I really love a website called Zero Hedge. It's very conspiracy theory-ish. I ignore about 75% of the articles, but these are ex-Wall Street guys who started this website in the mid-2000s. And they're just fantastic at parsing out data as it's published, government reactions, stock market reactions. And they're not at all like they have no motivation, but they just try and publish what they're seeing. There's no political motivation. There's no sponsorship motivation as far as I could tell. And I think they do a really good job of publishing. So when you see like a jobs number and it looks really great, if you go onto Zero Hedge, they're going to parse into it and say, looks good, but 90% of this is from seasonal adjustment or looks good, but 80% of this was low wage earning people who are picking up low wages, you know, jobs. So it's, it's okay, but it's not great, right? So you'll get a, a whole different layer of analysis that you wouldn't get from the mainstream media typically. Yeah, well, those are excellent, excellent sources. And I can understand why if you're going to make it a, a full-time 
income as passive investment, that it is important to know these different things and to watch these different trends. And it's difficult to do that unless you have a starting place to actually find that and to look at that. Before we got on air, you had mentioned that you are a conservative investor, and because of that, you have been finding it very difficult to find opportunities here for the last two years. And so tell us about the last two years, what's been going on with you and the markets, and where do you see the markets going for 2002 and three? Yeah, great question. Very relevant topic today. A lot of people are having this discussion. So it's actually part and parcel of what we just talked about before. So when you take a look at someone like me, I tend to like taking historical data and helping to extrapolate in the future. Just like you can look at cycles and get an idea of how they start, how they end, how long they've been. And that gives you some idea of how to extrapolate into the future. And what is really frustrating for me is when we have a lot of government intervention, because what it does is it takes all my computing and what's going on in my head and it throws it out the window. Right. Because take a look at the, the stock market crash we had last year. It lasted all of a month or two which is not normal. And it was only because of the government spending trillions of dollars. Right. And that's also not normal. Right. And so when I say not normal, you know, as soon as you take these abnormal situations, you could take all the extrapolation in the world and throw them out the window. So this has been a really frustrating time for me to invest because I like to have clarity. And without that clarity, I tend to be on the sidelines. And that's what's really tough for me right now. So what I've been waiting for is for the stimulus to subside for like, for example, the eviction moratoriums to end, the foreclosure forbearances to end, pandemic assistance to end, all this stuff so that, you know, we can finally watch the, the tide go out and see what's going on on the beach, right? And see the reality of what's happening in the market. And I think we're finally getting to that point now where everything's unwinding and stopping. And furthermore, the government is now, the Fed just this week announced that it's going to more quickly than anticipated um, stop its uh, quantitative easing and then potentially increase interest rates next year, which tells us a lot. Now, um, so I, I've been kind of pivoting and trying to figure out what can I invest in while this is all going on. And I've kind of come up with these three categories that have made sense for myself while I'm waiting for all this to happen. But it's been very, very challenging. In the meantime, for 2022 and 2023, I could tell you, so just like I told you before, my job is to look at the past and try to figure out where we're going, right? So statistically, the way it looks right now, is that based on the yield curve, based on the government increasing interest rates, the pace that it's going to, assuming that doesn't change, et cetera, that will probably be, it's, it's actually fascinating, 100% of the time that the Fed has multiple interest rate hikes in the, in the past uh, you know, few decades, we've actually had a recession as a result. The question is how much in between those times does it take? It typically takes two to three years after. So it typically takes about a year for the yield curve to, in, to invert. And I'm just giving you uh, roundabout numbers. And then once the yield curve inverts, it typically takes six to 24 months, more commonly six to 18 months for the recession to occur. So I am personally, at the, you know, with nothing changing, which is a big statement because government could come in and print another few trillion dollars and everything changed and everything else. But as of today, asking me that question, if the government does what it, the Fed says, what it says it's going to do by reducing quantitative easing, increasing rates, we're on a path to have a recession, most likely in about two to three years. And I also think we're on a path of a very challenging time for the stock market because stock markets don't react well to interest rate increases typically. Normally, they either go down or go sideways for a couple of years. And so we're also at extremely high valuations, historically high uh, ratios and all these other things, right? We have uh, record high margin debt, all these other factors. So I'm still waiting for more clarity, but I do think that knowing that, the, that we're going to tighten the quantitative easing or not tighten, but end the quantitative easing and then increase the interest rates tells us a lot 
It tells us a lot as uh, generally what's going to happen with the economy, but tells us a lot about real estate too, because real estate does not react well to interest rate increases, right? So we know that as well, historically. So that's why I'm trying to be very careful right now, especially the way that I invest, because you have to understand, I invest in mostly stabilized opportunities for cash flow. And that means I have to be particularly careful with the purchase price because I'm not adding a lot of padding into the deal going into it. I'm not a heavy value add investor. And because of that, it's very dangerous to me to buy, go into a deal today when I think prices are going to be lower in a couple of years. And that means that I'm getting in at the wrong price with no padding. So that's where I have to kind of be creative in the meantime while I watch all that unfold. Well, a lot to be cognizant of. And of course, I mean, always with all investments, there's a lot of uncertainty because, well, we don't know what the feds are going to do. And even if the feds do what they say they're going to do, we don't always know that things are going to turn out the way that we would like them to or think that they're going to. Some very good information you have shared with us, Jeremy. Tell our viewers and listeners how it is that they can get in touch with you. Sure. Anyone is welcome to contact me. I'm happy to network or help any way that I can for anybody, whether you're brand new or an experienced investor, want to network. Uh, if you're new, I'm happy to help answer questions. Just, you know, you're trying to figure out the landscape. If you're an investor group and want to network, or if you're even a sponsor and I want to network, just feel free to reach out to me. The best way to reach me is email. So that's jroll, J-R-O-L-L at Roll Investments, R-O-L-L Investments with an S.com. So jroll at rollinvestments.com. Very good. Well, Jeremy, I have one last question, and you have uh, touched on this a little bit, but let's go into it a little bit further, and that is, talk to us about the most difficult setback you've encountered in your life. How'd you come through that time, and what was the big lesson you learned from that? Oh, boy. I had a couple of major setbacks, family-related. You know, it's funny. I'm just going to use what we talked about at the beginning, because for someone like me, who was on a path of very conservative guy, going to climb the corporate ladder for 30 to 40 years, long-term mindset, trying to build the resume that looks good, right? I also came from a different country. So I had to kind of get a foreign visa, sort that out to stay here permanently, all, all different things that I was kind of sorting out. The concept of having to leave the corporate world and make that huge change was something I never contemplated. And essentially, and I hate to sound like a broken record, but it's just the truth. Like the cash flow is really what got me over the hump and it's completely changed my life 180. But the funny thing is that to me, like the worst thing that happened to me was to have that challenge in the corporate world where I felt like I had nowhere to turn with, I had that very challenging manager. I went to talk to the manager above him. He wouldn't do anything. It was a new manager who came in from the field who was not willing to have flexibility and helping some challenges I'm having with the people that were reporting to me and all this stuff. And so I had, I tried to go to the, their, his manager didn't work, went to him, didn't work, went to HR, didn't work. And I literally was boxed into a corner and it was so bad that I had to do the work of the three people under me. And he literally told me to just do their work and come in over the weekends and do their work because he wasn't going to change any of the headcount or do anything because he just came in and he didn't want to ruffle any feathers. So it was like on me to do four people's jobs. And it was a very difficult situation for many months. And so what was looking like the worst thing that happened to me in the corporate world since I had been working turned out to be the best thing that ever happened to me from a job perspective, because leaving the corporate was the best thing that happened to me. And I think it's a really good lesson in life that sometimes think the things look like they're um, like in the worst situation, but it turns out that it has a great ending and ends up being one of the best situations. Well, at the time, it looked like the worst situation. And this was just a stereotypical example of that. So uh, really, I'm actually thankful that that happened now, to be honest with you, because if it didn't, I'd probably still be in the corporate world and not sitting here with you right now on this podcast. So, yeah, I hear that so often. And I've certainly seen that in my own life. We get so, I guess, bogged down in our own comfort zones that it's very difficult to see that our comfort zones are making us miserable. And uh, 
And it just takes, sometimes it just takes a big, big, big kick in the rear uh, to get us out of those comfort zones to actually find our own path and find where it is we really want to go in life. And, you know, I can look back on my own life and go, God, that was a horrible time. But I also say, boy, it was the best time in my life as well. And I'm thankful for it. Well, Jeremy, thank you so much for sharing your expertise and uh, your depth of knowledge in terms of uh, markets and investments. And thank you also for sharing your life with us. It's been a pleasure having you today. Thanks for being on the show. Absolutely. I want to thank you for having me here. And I just hope that our episode's helpful for your listeners. And um, yeah, thanks again for having me on. I'm sure it's very helpful. So thanks so much. Thank you for tuning in to Real Estate Investing Abundance, brought to you by Steve Talker Capital, a company working for passionate professionals like you to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. As part of our efforts to make the world a better place, Steve Talker Capital contributes to activities and organizations committed to better understand the equine. These endeavors attempt to enhance the human treatment of horses worldwide. Steve Talker Capital, working for a world where all creatures, great and small, flourish abundantly. For resources to develop your financial independence, connect with us at stevetalker.com.